Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Tonight, we have the start of Revelation. Yeah, it's a sweet Jesus, huh? That's pretty cool. It's a sweet Jesus. <laughs> more metal. <laughs> how, do you, how are you more metal than flaming eyes and a sword protruding out of your mouth? How are you more metal than that? Seriously. You are metal. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't simply be, adopt the metal. You have to be born into the metal. Okay. So, guys. Well, let's get started on this. So, starting this week in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, we're going to take the next few months and just go through Revelation 1, 2, and 3. We're actually going to fly through Revelation 1 tonight. Uh, and then over the next couple months, go over 2 and 3 and the seven letters to the seven churches that John the Apostle was given to basically spread to these churches during this time of basically the church growth. And so I'm really excited about this. I hope you are too. I've titled this message, A Call to Praise, Repent, and Grow. And this is not necessarily the blueprint of praising, repent, and grow. That's like, it's not necessarily the blueprint of growing as a Christian or becoming a better Christian or ultimately being like this like awesome holy picture like Jesus up there, right? Like, but the idea, and as Jesus writes these letters to these seven churches, he brings them to a place of praise, he brings them to a place of repentance, and then he brings them to a place of encouragement or growth. And I think as we look at these seven letters over the next couple of months, I think you and I are going to grow in this place of, one, always finding place to praise Jesus for who he is, Two, being in a place of repentance over our own sin, our own brokenness, which every one of us has. And three, then being encouraged that Jesus has taken care of that sin. He's covered that brokenness, and now we can grow. Now we can grow. Ultimately, I really encourage you guys to either listen on Tuesday nights to these teachings, or if you miss a Tuesday night, like I said, or Luke announced, we're going to be putting these on the Jesus Famous uh, Youth Teaching Podcast, and you can come back and listen to those as you as you, if you miss a Tuesday night, I know Mary Hooper was really jazzed about this, and so she had to miss tonight, and so it's going to be on that podcast. But this is going to be a really awesome process for us. Now, one of the things I'm going to do is be asking students to come up and read uh, certain parts of the scripture. So I asked Olivia Baker to come on up and read actually all of <laughs> Revelation 1. So Olivia's so graciously uh, said she would. So you can use that mic right there if you want. Could she use that one, Kevin? Okay. Um, so I'm going to have the words up on the screen there, guys. But if you have your own Bibles, follow along. And uh, go ahead, and then I'll pray. Right. Yeah. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like the white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how impactful it is. God, I pray that we would allow this to rest highly in our hearts and minds tonight, that this would be uh, a scripture that resonates not just tonight but for the rest of our lives, God. Thank you so much for this vision that you gave to John. Thank you so much what we get to retain and glean from some 2,000 years later, God. We thank you so much for this time tonight. Spirit, I pray that you would be in our midst, that you would work in us tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would protect us from any type of, of uh, evil or demonic type force that would want to influence tonight over youth group and over this time of teaching. Speak mightily, Lord, to their hearts and minds as they go through tonight and go as they get into bed tonight, Lord. Speak past my just inadequacies as a man, God, and, and move in your scripture. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Olivia. Appreciate it. Woo! So you kind of see now where this symbol of Jesus comes from, right? I mean, this, this is what John saw. He saw Jesus in a white robe, a gold sash, flames of fire, sword protruding from his mouth, holding the seven stars of the seven angel amidst the seven golden lampstands that are these seven churches we're going to be studying. This intense vision, this intense type symbol that Jesus shows to John. I mean, it is intense. It's metal, straight up. And so as you look at something like this or you read something like this, you know, I don't know about you, but what comes to mind for me is, is actually the Lord of the Rings. When I was a teenager, the Lord of the Rings movies came out, actually, as through, from, from the, like the end of middle school through my high school career. And then actually our first 
our, like our second youth group, when The Hobbit came out, three years running, we actually took the youth group to The Hobbit every year that it came out in December. It was great. Yeah, it was like my generation grew up with these movies, and actually seeing the movies brought me to a place of then reading the books. And if you've ever read these books, you see this, this basically this overshadowing evil, this, this daunting evil all through the books, all through, through all, all the, the series. What you see is this daunting evil that doesn't go away that kind of stays present even in the midst of hope, in the midst of heroic symbols and characters. I mean, people like Gandalf, who, are, who is this like ever symbol of hope and optimism in him. Uh, you see this, this daunting, underlining danger and darkness. I mean, dare I even say evil. And through this series, you see, you see these characters like hobbits. If you don't know what a hobbit is, you're missing out on probably one of the greatest characters ever developed just in who they are. I mean, they're the lowliest of lows. They have no strength or no real wisdom about them. They're not these high-off warriors, but yet Tolkien in his, in his theology and in his, his lore uses them in such great ways. Where they, they are the ultimately, if you've read through the series, Really at the end, when darkness almost completely encompasses our heroes, even our, our would-be king, you see Frodo have to make a decision that, that actually determines whether the, this evil will live on or actually be destroyed. Ultimately, at the end of this series, what you see is when, when evil is about ready to completely vanquish and take over and dominate any type of good within this series, within this, this lore, you see good triumph. You see the king who was this, this like no good strider, this kind of this man that lived by himself, had no friends, just kind of wandered, who was actually the king to be had. He takes his mantle. He, he conquers evil. He sits on the white throne. You can't help but read something like Revelation and then read Tolkien literature and see where Tolkien got a lot of his symbolism from. See, Christians, what we have today and what we've seen over the last 2,000 years in the age of the church is an underlining evil. There is an evilness in this world. The Bible actually says that the prince of this world, who is Satan, his principalities, his powers, demons, and, and darkness actually rule this world. They sit over cities and governments and, and areas and plots of land. They rule over people's hearts and minds who do not belong to Christ. This is reality. The Bible teaches it. There is a spiritual element to the world that we live in. And what the book of Revelation brings to light is that within this darkness that has been since the beginning of time, since the rebellion, basically, outside of God's way of reality, this darkness has always been, always will be, until the king returns, until the king finally sits on his white throne of judgment and all the goats and the lambs, all those that were sinners and those that are saved will stand before him in judgment. And see, Christians, we, we have this in our theology. This is a part of what we believe. This is a part of where we stand as Christians. And see, the book of Revelation brings this to light. And as we read through these seven letters to these seven churches, what John and ultimately Jesus through John wants us to understand is that as we depict through these seven different churches— there's different, I, I, different ways of looking at it. They could be the seven churches throughout the church age. They could be physical seven churches during John's time. There's different ways to look at it. I understand that. We're not going to get into that. But what I want you to see is that in every one of these churches, we can find our own church. We can find characteristics. We can find pros and cons. We can find good and bad to today's church, no matter where you go. 
Because no church is perfect. Man runs church. (laughs) And ultimately, though, Christians, the big C, the big church, Jesus runs it. And see, even though there may be evil in the world, even though there may be a lot of pain and sorrow and hurt, the fact is, Christians, our king will sit on the white throne. Our king rules all. And so we have to have a high view of the book of Revelation. And I believe that if you have a high view of the book of Revelation, you actually have a high view of Jesus. And ultimately, really not just the book of Revelation, but I'm sorry, if you have a high view of spiritual things, spiritual nature, spiritual demonic forces, angelic forces, who Jesus is, how he sits at the right hand of the Father, you will have a high view of the book of Revelation. Now, if you have a low view of spiritual things and ultimately a low view of Jesus in your life, you will just gloss over this letter, right? You'll gloss over this book. Right? If Jesus does not have a high position in your life, and ultimately because of Jesus, spirituality, understanding that there is good and evil, understanding that there is forces of darkness out there, that people are driven and pursued by evil. If you don't understand this, then this book, it'll be hard for you to grasp. So I encourage you to have a high view of Jesus, to grow in that, to become a young Christian, that Jesus ultimately sits on the throne of your life. And so with that spirituality and seeing the world through a biblical lens that shows you that there is a spiritual nature to things. Now, as we break this down, and what we're going to kind of do tonight is break down kind of the history of this a little bit. And basically, this chapter, like I said, we're going to kind of do a 30,000-foot view of the book of Revelation, or the the chapter 1 of the book of Revelation tonight. Um, But I think you're going to glean from it, and it builds the foundation for the seven churches. And so as we step into this, we step into Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. As as, um, Olivia read this tonight, what you have in this is basically John's cover letter to the rest of the book. Ultimately, in this, you actually have verse 3, which is a blessing for reading this book, you guys. Read that again. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Who heard that the first time that she said that? Who saw that? Who stood, did it stand out to you? I mean, there's no other book in the Bible that gives you a blessing for reading it. That literally says, you will be blessed for reading these words. I mean, that means something. It should mean something to us. That as we read this, there's a blessing to us. There's, there's something that's built inside of it. The Holy Spirit is changing you as you read these words. But ultimately, the cover letter, as John writes this, verses 1 through 3, he gives us, in a sense, again, the cover letter to this, le- to this book or to these seven, ch- these seven letters to these seven churches. And he starts with saying the revelation, or it would be translated to our modern day, the revelation belongs to Jesus Christ. So this revelation we're reading about, this vision that John sees of Jesus with the flaming eyes and the double-edged sword and holding the stars, the glory that he has, this is Jesus' revelation. It's his to give. Later on in the book of Revelation, there's actually weeping in heaven because there's this scroll that is brought before John and the angels, and they weep because no one can open it. No one is worthy to touch this scroll, but then in essence, it's Jesus is revealed in his glory, and there's praise in heaven because Jesus is worthy to open this scroll. Jesus is worthy of the sin, or worthy of the, the, the pain and sorrow and sin that we've all felt because he's taken it upon himself, because he's conquered the great like, destroyer of man, which is death. You will die one day. You cannot escape that. Doesn't matter how much makeup or skin cream you put on, like, you will die one day. 
And yet Jesus has conquered that, so he is worthy. This is his revelation. Now, this is also the word of God. And John wants us to remember this, that as he puts down this word of God, that this is actually a legal term he's putting down. This is him testifying that this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That you can be encouraged that as you read this book, as you take that blessing of verse 3, that this is God's word. That this is something that you should obtain, that you should read, you should listen to, you should glean from, you should study. This should be a part of who you are. God's word, you guys, should be something that we soak in mentally, spiritually, physically, into our hearts. It should be part of our vocabulary, be part of our daily thinking. Proverbs talks about how it should walk with us in the light of the day. It should lay us down when we sleep. It should keep us on the the path of the straight and narrow so we don't go astray. The word of God is given to us, and we should take it and be secure in that. This is also testimony from Jesus Christ. Jesus, you know, we have to remember that he wasn't just a man. Right? He didn't just come as a baby. He didn't say a baby. We don't ever pray, dear Lord Jesus, baby, right? or baby Jesus. We don't pray that. You shouldn't pray that. <laughs> because Jesus grew. He matured. He had a ministry. He showed us the ultimate, the culmination of God's character made flesh and then died on a cross, buried for three days by the power of the Spirit, rose again. See, this is Jesus' testimony. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And we have to remember, he always sat at the right hand of the Father. He was always there. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He has always been there. Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, has always been eternity past, will always be eternity forward and present with the Father. And he has seen all this come. He has seen all this into fruition. This is not a surprise to him. It's not like you do something one day and Jesus is like, oh, I didn't know he would do that, right? Oh, that's, that's really, oh, that's something, that's special. That's not Jesus. He's seen you for all eternity and has watched you, has known you. And so as we read through the book of Revelation, as we read through these seven churches, ultimately if you read through the eschatology of the entire book of end times, eschatology means the study of end times, you would, you would see that Jesus has always seen this coming, It's always happened in his eyes. And so this is his testimony. This is his story. And then this is written by his slave, John. John uses this term bondservant or this servant of God, right? This this term that he has given himself to the service of Jesus. We're going to get into that in a minute. And then it's written for Jesus' servants. This book, ultimately, Christians, is for you. If you sit here tonight and you don't call yourself a Christian, you're not going to understand this book. You're not going to glean a lot from it. You're not going to gain a lot from it. It might even scare you because your hope is not in Jesus. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, this book can be daunting. But see, if you sit here tonight and you call yourself a Christian and you walk with Jesus, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you read a book like this and it actually brings you to praise. Even the kind of cr- like crazy, dark, like demon scorpions that fly with human faces like part. It's like, that's still like, okay, but Jesus is still in control, right? Like, like there's parts in here where humans crave death but cannot die. They're like zombies. The Bible, like, it's like, it's like really weird stuff. But like, see, even in that, we can go like, but Jesus is still in charge. I understand that Jesus wrote this letter to me, his servant. And I hope that you put yourself in that category tonight, that you also are a servant of Jesus as we read this letter. Now, who's this guy, John? Who's this guy, John? This guy, John, 
We're not there yet. Um, <laughs> come on, go back. Maybe. There we go. This guy, John, he was the apostle. We see him in the New Testament. He was with Jesus. He was the one Jesus loved. He was a younger man. He's probably the youngest apostle, history tells us, of the 12. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the New Testament. And then ultimately in 93 AD, he wrote this book of Revelation. Uh, John was an old man at this time, and he had gone through intense persecution, first from the Emperor, Emperor Nero, who kind of started the persecution of the Christians. The guy was crazy, right? The guy was crazy. He, like, you know, the, you know what a Roman candle is? Anyone shot off a Roman candle before, right? That term actually comes from dipping Christians in tar, sticking them on a stick, and lighting them on fire and so he could ride through his, his, uh, his garden in the nude on a horse, right? This was Nero. He was nuts, Like, in essence, like, Rome was like, yeah, Nero says he's God, but, you know, he's kind of crazy. So, you know, but then this guy Domitian came, who was much smarter than Nero, and he started calling himself God, and they're like, yeah, this guy's God, right? He just had a different type of evil about him, and he he brought the intensity to the persecution that much more. John lived through Nero and Domitian. History actually tells us that John would not stop preaching Jesus as God and Savior, where you, as a Roman citizen, they would come up to you and say, like, is, who is God? Who is Lord? And you would have to say, Caesar is Lord. Right? Caesar is God. And yet John was teaching, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He was teaching this. He was making disciples in Jesus' name. He was building Jesus' church. So he was first, actually, history tells us he was boiled alive first. But he would not die. I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he would not die. And so because his, his influence was so, like, so intense and so, like, big, after he wouldn't die, it even grew, right? The church was like, they can't kill him. Like, we're unstoppable. So then Domitian actually put him on the island of Patmos because basically to send him off. It was, a, it was a, basically a prison island where you were sent to die. You basically all day from sunup to sundown, you ate very little and you crushed rock. That's what you did on the island of Patmos. And this is where John died. Now, John had lived his life serving Jesus, okay? He lived his life serving Jesus. And then finally, after seeing a vision of Jesus in his full Godhead glory and recording the book of Revelation, he actually got to go home and be with Jesus for eternity. What we see in John is this life where he started young. He had this experience with Jesus, and then his life just proclaimed this testimony. His life proclaimed his faith in intense ways. And then ultimately he died for it. Now continuing on, verse, verses one or verses four through eight. Now John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now what John, Jesus is doing is he's, he's explaining to John, now I'm having you write this letter to send to these seven churches. I want you to give these churches hope. I want you to give them exhortation. I want you to encourage them. I want you to convict them. I want you to bring them to a place of holiness when the world around them is crumbling. When the world around him seemed so dark, when persecution was so intense, and you can just go back and read like the Fox's Book of Martyrs or, or DC Talks Jesus Freak and see some of the persecution and how intense it is. And so John, Jesus gives this praise, this doxology, as it were, about himself, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will come, the Almighty but telling John to tell the seven churches this. Now, this is for the the seven churches then, if there were physical seven churches in Asia Minor that John was writing to, and it's for us today. Don't 
Don't be deceived. This is just as much for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. Now, what does this tell us? Now, I believe that first off, we have to understand as the church that Jesus was, is, and will always be the head of the Christian church. The church is messed up, guys. Okay, it is. Right? You are never going to find a perfect church. If you walk into a church and you're like, this place is perfect, you better leave because you're just going to mess it up. Okay? Like, there is no perfect church. It is led by imperfect men. Pastor Nate is not perfect, even though how tall he is and bold and that beard, like, he's not perfect, right? Your youth pastor is not perfect. Your parents are not perfect. These youth leaders are not perfect. You are little sinners, okay? So church, ultimately, the big C church is led by Jesus, and we have to have faith in that. I've worked for some pretty messed up pastors, no joke. I got some stories for you. But what's kept me and Erica in ministry is, is because we know that Jesus ultimately is the king over the church. He is the ruler. He is the pastor, big P, over the church, right? Number two, we are, brought and owned, we are bought and owned by Jesus for his ultimate sacrifice of love on the cross. Your identity is not in Calvary Chapel or Cyprus or Shoreline. Your identity is not in the denomination of church that you go to. Your, denom- or your identity is in Jesus because you are bought and owned by him. We are, no me- we are no better than any other human. We are only saved by Jesus' work on the cross. Just because you go to church, just because you kind of got your life together or you're really good at, you're better at hiding your sin than people that don't go to church, doesn't mean you're any better than anybody else out there, guys. The only difference, the only thing that makes us any different is Jesus' work on the cross. Never be a hypocritical Christian, guys. Never be a Christian that, that shows partiality because this person looks better than this person. Don't be a hypocrite. Right? Don't be a hypocrite. Walk like Jesus walked. Understand that you, the only thing special about you is that Jesus died for you and he loves you and your identity is in him alone. Okay, we are Jesus' hands and feet to the world around us, salt and light in Jesus' name. The church is Jesus' representation. In the same way the Jewish people were God's representation to a, a pagan world in the Old Testament, you and I today are Jesus to the world around us. You, you as a human being, Go into the world and your jobs, your sports, and your schools, and you interact with non-Christians, right? How many people in here interact with non-Christians, people that don't believe in God? So let's say that person you're interacting with does not go to church, hasn't read the Bible, maybe in their whole life, has never heard the gospel. They say, they hear that you are a Christian. Guess who they're watching and guess who they're trying to figure out Jesus is through you? Your personality, how you interact with people how you get angry or you have grace, how you show love and compassion, how you show sarcasm and judgment, all those things, they're looking at you. They say, this person says they're a Christian, so they must be like Jesus because Christian means like Jesus. Christian means little Christ. So they look to you and they say, this person must be like Jesus. Jesus is like them. You guys, we are called to be salt and light to the world around us. We are called to be Jesus. That's what the church was supposed to be. The church is not supposed to be a building or a youth group only. Okay, the church is not supposed to be just a group of people that hang out as a social club. You are to be salt and light in the world and the the, the area of influence that God has put you in. So people look at you and they say, that person must be like Jesus. That person is like Jesus. Jesus always is now and forever will be in control. Okay, the church needs to understand this. No matter what happens in the world around us, no matter how crazy it gets, Jesus is in control, guys. And we have to remember this, all right? Continuing on, you guys, as we study through Revelation 2 and 3, 
and the seven, seven letters of the churches, do not forget Jesus is in the midst and his spirit is always at work within his church. Now, the reason I say this is because sometimes it's easy to get to forget that Jesus not only is in control, but he's in our midst. When John sees Jesus, he's in the midst of the seven lampstands, which is saying he's in the midst of his church. And, and the spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity, the deity of the spirit of God is working within his church, is working within you and I. It's why we can change as human beings. It's why we can be a sinner, but then die to self and be someone new, be transformed in the name of God. It's why I can meet and I have met men and women who were so addicted to a substance that their life was torn apart. They had no relationship with their children. Their marriage was gone. They had, they, they had been forsaken by everyone in their life. Their God, everything about them was this addiction. Yet they come to Jesus. They are, they, are, they are given freedom from that addiction and they start to be transformed. Not just from like addiction to sobriety, but physically, spiritually, mentally transformed into a workable and pliable servant of God. You guys, this is truth about serving Jesus, is that the Spirit is working in the church. If there's any power within the church, it comes from the Spirit. Um, okay, moving on, guys. Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. This is the vision of the Son of Man, okay? This is the vision. Now, this is a big section, um, but basically what this comes to is this image that John sees Jesus as, this image that, that is intense, this image that is powerful, this image that we saw at the very beginning where Jesus and all his glory and all his might, the white robe, the gold sash, the sword coming out of his mouth, the flaming eyes, you guys, that sees through all things. John sees this vision of Jesus. And now, not going back to, but I encourage you, go back and read through this. To pick through everything that John sees in this. But for time's sake, what I want you to see is verses 9 and 10. John gives his description of himself and how the vision started. Now, see, you and I, we have a testimony in Jesus, guys. If you call yourself a Christian, you have a testimony. And your testimony starts with how you walk with Jesus. How you interact with Jesus. Now, we know John's past testimony as he's in the Gospels, as he's a young man, as he's the one that Jesus loved and he's walking and serving with him. But then in this place, we see John on the island of Patmos serving God even in the darkest place. His skin is probably scarred and beat and he's, he's old and he's just ready to die. And he's like, but I'm here serving the Lord on the Lord's day. And this vision comes to me. And then verse 11, the description uh, or direction of who this vision and letters are for. It's to the seven churches. It's, it's to the people of God, the servants of Jesus again. Verse 12 through 16, the foundation of Revelation. Seven golden lampstands. I've, I've talked about this, but the, they are the seven churches. And then Jesus in his glorified Godhood and shows that he is in the midst of the churches. And then lastly, verses 17 through 20, John dies, or it says, I fell down as dead. <laughs> and then Jesus brings him back and reminds him of his purpose and calling to serve him. When John has this interaction with Jesus at this point, it says that he fell down as dead. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, if you look at back at the original Greek of this, there's not much difference between the word like dead and what John says here, dead. <laughs> like, he fell down as dead. He saw the living Jesus. Now, what I want you to glean from this, Christians, is where are your interactions with Jesus? What was your first experience with Jesus like, and what do you want your last experience with Jesus to be like? I mean, think about this. John was a young man. 
He was invited in to be a disciple of Jesus. I will make you fishers of men, Jesus told him. I will use you. I will change you. I will make you a world impactor. And then we see the Gospels. We see the book of Acts. We see the New Testament church where John impacts. And then his last interaction with Jesus, this vision, he sees him as glorified. Now that's sanctification. Jesus was a man that was God and man flesh when John first interacted with him. John got to see him as a resurrected form after he rose three days later. But then years later, here he gets to see him in his glorified state. As John has been sanctified for all these years, now he stands before God. And Jesus has always been this powerful. He has always had eyes of flames that see through everything. He has always spoken with pureness in the word of God, which is a sharp two-edged sword. He has always been glorified, and he's always been in the midst of his church. But now John, in his older age, his wiser age, walking with Jesus for all these years, he gets to see him in his full glory. See, young Christians, I don't know about you, but I know what my first interaction with Jesus was like. When I became a Christian when I was a teenager, I I didn't know squat, (laughs) I went to a Christian ska band, and I, I, I accepted Jesus, and I danced, and it was cool. And then I started going to youth group, and Christian girls were cool. Like, like, and then I went to mission trips, and, and God kept t- touching me and moving me and shaping me and molding me. And man, like when I finally die, hopefully a ripe old man after doing youth ministry for 90 years, like I, after all these years, I hope I stand before Jesus, and I see him glorified like this. When I serve Jesus in this life, I hope I come to the place that every time I interact with him, he is glorified like John sees him. And I can't help but fall down like dead and then be raised up and reminded that my job is to serve him as long as I have breath in my lungs here. See, and I ask you, young Christians, what was your first experience with Jesus like? Maybe it was Sunday school. Maybe it was right here at JFY. Maybe it was at a camp. But then what do you want your last experience with Jesus to be like, guys? All right, conclusion to this. What we see in this vision ultimately is a portrait of Jesus. We see a portrait of Jesus. See, every true portrait of Jesus emphasizes both his complete humility and his awesome deity. No mortal being will ever be able to understand Jesus fully. Every such attempt will include human attributes such as bodily features and well, as well as divine attributes such as uh, omniscience. See, the thing is, guys, that Every portrait of Jesus that we have to come to is a place of worship to him because we, don't, we will never fully understand everything about Jesus. We, we can't fully grasp God and all his eternity and all his power. But yet what we can do is be the mortal beings that we are, the created beings that we are, and we can praise him in every one of those situations. The only right response to Jesus is to worship. Jesus is intimately involved with his church. No one can read Revelation 1 without, recording, without recognizing Jesus' commitment to his church. See, this reminds us that Jesus, as much as we can sit here tonight and raise our hands and praise and say, Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you. My life is yours. He is infinitely more committed to you and the church. The same Jesus who promised to build his church in Matthew 16, 18, continues to be present in this congregation, in every congregation that praises him and worships him and serves him. And then all who follow Christ seriously will be involved in one of his congregations. Being part of the church, being part of the body of Christ, you guys, is important. If Jesus is here, you need to be here. 
Okay, principles from this from chapter one. You got God promised to bless those who read and obey the teaching of Revelation, the Word of God. That was back in verse three. This blessing for those that read, grace and peace and privileges God extends to all believers. Christians are freed from sins. We are a kingdom, a kingdom of priests. Hebrews says, company, uh, company, uh, companions in suffering and patient endurance and servants. This is a description of us as we read through something like this. We come to a better understanding of what it means to be a Christian, how we're to live in this life, how to interact with the world around us. See, the public glorious return of Jesus Christ is the theme of Revelation. Ultimately, like I talked about at the beginning, Jesus will come back. Jesus will sit on his throne and all the world, all darkness, can't, will, will, will have no choice but to flee. Jesus is the first and the last, the living one, the firstborn from the dead, the one alive forever, the faithful witness, and the one who holds the keys of death. Ultimately, you guys, he's in control. He is king. He's the big bad dude. Like, like there is no one badder than Jesus, you guys. No one more powerful. No one more awesome than Jesus. It's in essence, the word awesome in a Christian's vocabulary should alone be for Jesus because he is just awesome. The father is him who is and him who was and the, was the, the one who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, and the Lord God Almighty. See, as we read through a chapter like this, this reminds us of these things, Christians. These are foundational pillars to what it means to be a Christian, to what you believe, to what you hold dear, and it should remind you every single time, every time you read this. So applications, this is the last part, guys, before you go into small groups. Read the book of Revelation if you want a divine blessing. If you believe that this is the word of God, then you believe Revelations 1-3, right? There's a blessing for those who read this and take it in, who hear it, who apply it. Commit yourself in advance to obey what you learn from the study of Revelation. Whatever you learn, whatever you glean from over the next couple months, and we go through these seven letters, retain it. Commit to changing. Commit right now. As you pray tonight, say, Lord, if there's anything in this study that you want to use to change me, I, I, I ask that you would... Bring me to a place of commitment for that. Take seriously Revelation's claim to be the trustworthy word of God. Understand that this is from God to John to us. Worship Christ for, uh, for who he is and all that he has done. You guys are living in a world right now where TikToks and, and social media and quick little 30-second videos try to deconstruct who Jesus is. And they start the video with, I've been studying I've really been looking into this. Yeah, believe that person, guys. <laughs> See, the thing is, no, worship Christ for who he is. As the Spirit moves in you and works in you through a study like this, like, let it and trust him as he moves in you. Believe that Christ will come again just as the theme verse of Revelation announces, which is verse 7 of chapter 1. You guys, this is, this is an intense study. It brings to light a whole lot of things that the church, it messes up, but it also brings to light a whole lot of the foundation that the church is built on. So I encourage you guys, open up your hearts, open up your minds, come ready to learn to this and see what Lord does. Literally, that was a 30-minute message, not bad, okay? All right, Father, we come before you. We thank you so much. I pray for small group time that it would be a blessing. The Spirit, you would continue to move in that time, speak through the small group leaders. Um, Encourage these students to, to, to dive into this and to grow and to mature from it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. 
If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.